Welcome to Food Friends. I'm Carrie. And I'm Sonia. We met in Los Angeles over 15 years ago as private chefs and haven't stopped talking about food since. We created Food Friends to share our stories and recipes with each other and you. We're so glad you're here. Hey, it's Carrie, and I'm thrilled because we're moving into a new season of spring and summer pies. This week, we talk about all the pies we're dreaming of, from the fruity and jammy to the cool and creamy, as well as the many styles of pie that include crostatas, galettes, and hand pies. We've invited a professional and fellow food friend, the chef Danielle Bell, to share her pie dreams and tips with us, including details about her incredible savory greens pie. Danielle recently served as a judge for the KCRW Pie Contest, LA's yearly celebration of this beloved dessert. Keep listening to hear all about pie. Hey, Sonia. Hi, Carrie. Sonia, today's a special day. I like can hardly contain myself. <laughs> I know. I'm so excited. We're going to talk about pie. We're going to talk and, about pie. And summer pie. And summer specifically. pie. Specifically. We're going to talk about, yeah, we, by the way, we got to start to draw some lines of what are we going to talk about. I think we're only talking about summer pies. And summer pies, I think we're defining as like fruit-based pies, seasonal fruit-based pies for the most part, as opposed to like an apple pie, which comes out in the fall, pumpkin pie, sweet potato pie. All those pies are more, to me, fall pies when those fruits are in season. Yes. But there's also that other category of pie that's – so the ones you're talking about are like the fruity and jammy pies. What about the cool and creamy pies, right? Those count. Those are summer pies Those are summer summer pies. I want to eat like a chocolate cream pie in the summer and a coconut cream pie. I want to eat a key lime pie even though I think that's technically almost a winter pie like when key limes are in season. I love a citrusy pie and I also love an ice cream pie. An ice cream pie. Can we just start at the very beginning? We have to define the shape, right? Because I think when, 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 at least when I say pie, I think of round pie that can be sliced into a wedge. But there are so right. many other pies, Sonia. All right. Well, right. I want to I wanna add one more to our conversation. I think you can guess it because it's I, something I like as much as pie, maybe even more, and it's the galette, galette. or the crostata. Yes, I, I knew you were going to say it. I feel like it counts. It's pie crust and fruit. To me, it's in the pie family. If we're going to include ice cream pie, I just – it feels oh, like it counts. I completely agree. Oh, I'm, I, that was on my list. And then I also think in that same idea is a hand pie because oh, yeah. a hand pie – is a personal pie, personally Which is, yeah. I like a, a personal pie. Um, and- can I tell? Can I tell an aside that you're gonna love though? I was recently at dinner with some very dear friends, and our friend admitted to us. He goes, "I could only say this in front of you too." He goes, "I really hate share plates." I really don't want to share, <laughs> and he goes, "But for you too, I'm willing to share." But when it came to dessert, he's like, I can't share this. He wanted a whole piece of tiramisu to himself. And I was like, I respect this. I respect that. Yeah. You know, I have a couple of friends that don't like to share food too. I have to go in knowing that with them because I'm such a share plate person, but I respect it. And that's where I think a galette and a hand pie really solves that issue because then you just share it to yourself. You don't have to share it with anyone. I mean, it's not like you're, I guess, sharing a a slice of pie with someone. I would love to share a slice of pie with you. I love sharing desserts because 
because for one, I feel like, especially if you're at a restaurant, then you get to try more than one thing, which is always what I want to do at a restaurant or a bakery. I I also, it's hard for me to eat. This goes back to my galette stance, okay? It's hard for me to actually eat a whole giant slice of pie because it's usually quite thick and, you know, sometimes there's ice cream or whipped cream too. So- that's also why I like a galette because the crust to fruit ratio, it's much thinner. It's mm-hmm. sort of somehow more manageable for me. I have a pie strategy as well, which is like to not be so fussy with crust. Like I have a couple of other pie strategies, but I think it also fits in the galette idea, which is you make this galette and then you can kind of hack it up like a pizza. Yeah. You know, if you're like, oh, I really want a big piece, you can take a big piece, you can share with someone else. You don't have to touch all the pieces. And so as opposed to that moment, which I think also happens a lot with like a big cake, right? Mm-hmm. Getting that first slice of pie out or getting that, especially if there's like a birthday party and everyone's around when you're like slicing the cake, getting that first piece out is always so nerve wracking. And I've done it many, many times, but getting that first slice of pie out is really hard. You know how stressful you are when you're a food stylist on set? And oh, I remember gosh. I had to cut a slice of cherry pie early on in my career and I was just losing my mind. It is the hardest thing to do in some ways. I mean, you learn kind of tricks along the way. But I think where we really should start, and I know there's a lot of categories we might cover today, but if we're starting with traditional pies and galettes, they both use pretty much the same kind of dough. And I'm really curious about your dough tricks. I want to share mine. So what kind of dough person are you? Are you, Do you make it? Do you buy it? Is it always a butter? Where, what do you do? I do both. I make and buy. I believe in butter. I, I don't like shortening. I don't, I don't think it has the same flavor. I like the buttery flavor. Um, I'm also not opposed to buying like a Dufour, like a frozen pastry, because I think that also lends itself to ease. You know, I love this idea of making two pie crusts and keeping it in your freezer. Like I love that idea. I just never do it. So what you're talking about is also, I think pie is really intimidating to a lot of home bakers and it definitely is not the easiest thing to make. I I don't, I, I just think however you achieve your pie, dreams, whether that's store-bought <laughs> store dough or whether you learn how to make it because I've had many bad batches of dough since I started making pies when I was in, you know, a teenager, basically, I tried to learn. And even, you know, purists, like the great bakers of the world always seem to make their pie dough by hand. They're really, they're like, never use a machine and it's too sandy if you use a food processor. But I actually tend to use a food processor because it works for me and it tastes good. And maybe it's like slightly less perfect laminated flakes than some of the pie queens and kings of the world. But for me, it takes out all the stress. When I've made it by hand plenty of times, and it works beautifully and it's delicious. But to me, I'm not a bakery. So at home, the outcome is so minimal and I'm so much yeah. calmer when I use my food processor because my hands also run hot. I don't know about yours. But then I get all stressed out that I'm like, everything's getting too hot and I'm going to make the donut. It's going to get all sticky and craggy or whatever it's going to do. You know, for me, I'm not actually a big baker. I don't love to bake as much as you do. I think I love to bake a lot less than most people. And so when I make pie, I found I find my self-making pie when I'm not at my house. Like if I'm on Mm. vacation or if I'm somewhere where I have this like stretch of time or we're going to go on a picnic or something like that. So I actually find myself, if I'm going to actually make the pie dough, I make it by hand. I just kind of lean into the messiness of it or I buy a frozen pastry dough, which is also why I love the hand pie because then it's not this like 
you're throwing all of your pie into one pie tin. You can make hand pies that are kind of meant to look rustic, like a galette, which is this beautiful kind of thrown together with whatever summer fruit you have available or whatever jam you have on hand. Are you talking about puff pastry when you talk about pastry for hand pies or are you talking yes. about pie? Okay. Because yeah. I've used a puff, puff pastry. Mm-hmm, a puff yes. pastry makes a great hand pie. And I'm curious, my fundamental pie dough recipe never changes. It's basically one cup of flour to one stick of butter, which is half a cup. And then I always add apple cider vinegar. I've added vodka in the past. That works well too. And then I, you know, everything's ice cold. I use ice cold butter, all butter, no shortening. And I use ice cold water. I usually add a tiny bit of sugar to the crust, tiny bit, just to give it extra browning, but not any sweetness. And of course, salt. That's my go-to recipe. And I'm wondering if you have- you. This Mm. like apple cider vinegar, I've never done that. Really? Never. It seems to add flavor to the crust and it seems to make the texture of it somehow better. I don't know if it makes it flakier. I actually don't know the food science, so I don't want to lead people astray, but I know it makes a difference. And it's the flavor isn't vinegary. And it's not even that tangy because you're only adding a tablespoon full. And I think it has it evaporates differently than water the same way vodka does. So like I know America's Test Kitchen used to be like, always make your pie dough with vodka because it evaporates oh. differently than water in the oven. And so somehow that creates a flakier crust. But I don't know. It's like, you know how we all have these cooking things you just do and you don't even know why, but yes. it's like- Yes. That's one of mine. And it's like it was taught to you or you picked it up somewhere yeah. and then you just lean on – that was actually something I was thinking about when we were going to have this conversation. I was like, what are my go-to pies? And I think generally speaking, mine are fool safe. If I'm going to make a pie, it's usually with a frozen pastry crust. Mm-hmm. And I might cook the fruit, but I usually use jam because the jam – Then really? it just becomes this really quick and easy thing that I can put together alone in 10 minutes or I can do with Mac. You know, I can do this little project with him with little people and their little hands. It doesn't have the same show-stopping effect as a giant beautiful pie. So you're talking about puff pastry that you fill with a really good jam and then you make a little pocket and maybe you use your fork to like imprint the seams, right? Yes. And then you bake it off till it's golden. Yeah. And then you have these little pockets filled with fruit but it's preserves. Yeah. Do you have a go-to jam or a flavor that you you like to make that with? Usually whatever I find at the farmer's market. So, and like I said, I often am making these kind of pies when I'm not at home. I mean, honestly, any jam is delicious. It's interesting though, because I almost never use jam in my pies. So for me in the summer, as opposed to the winter, in the summer, I'm really in galette, crostata mode. And I mm-hmm. technically don't know difference offhand. I mean, crostata comes from Italy. Galette is a French word. To me, they're sort of, and I, they're probably technically not interchangeable, but mm-hmm. I just think of it as like a big piece of pie dough. You roll out into a very irregular circle. Like you don't worry about if it's perfect. You plop a bunch of fruit in the middle and you fold the dough partially over the fruit and you bake it. And I get so inspired to make it because I get inspired by the fruit at the market. So for me, like the galettes that I love to make are strawberry rhubarb. I love to make blueberry galettes at the, when I'm like when we're swimming with blueberries in the summer. Isn't in the Pacific Northwest, you've explained this to me, I've never spent a summer up there, but there's just like people just have like blackberry bushes and raspberry bushes and it just feels like there's just fruit everywhere in the summer. Yeah, there's a few months of the year where it just feels like every corner you turn down, there's fruit growing and blackberries (laughs) grow like are a weed. I think they're even invasive, so they grow everywhere. But then people also grow so many – berries grow really well in the Northwest, better than almost anywhere in the country. 
um, you know, especially wild berries, not the kind that we typically buy. Like our neighbor planted a whole street's worth of raspberry bushes for the neighborhood to enjoy during the summer. Oh, it's, that's so wonderful. And he oh tends – it's like it's a whole half block of berry bushes. He also has thornless no. blackberries. And every year he tends to them. He waters them. He just asks that people don't bring like giant pails because what he, he – he doesn't even have a sign about this. So he doesn't even tell people what he desires. He just puts them out there and trusts like everyone will respect that you don't take all the berries for yourself. But How he – he grew up on a farm or somewhere where they had a lot of berries and he wanted everyone to have the experience of eating a, a sun-warmed oh berry. That, that makes he me told want to us tear this. up. That is so beautiful. Yeah. Wow. I had this vision. I feel like I've that I've absorbed from the conversations I've had with you about summers in the Pacific Northwest and you really just like solidified that vision for me. This That there's just like <laughs> bushes of berries that people tend to and you can just walk on over and Get yourself a bowl of berries and go home and make your your cristata. Okay, so I do have a question about your galette cristata situation, which is: Are you putting uncooked fruit into them, or are you ever cooking your fruit? I only you, ever you cooked uncooked. Head. So there's a couple tips I think are really helpful if you've never made a galette or cristata or anything like this. One is to use tapioca starch or cornstarch mm-hmm. with your fruit, so that you know. Recently, I had a very leaky galette, and you you helped me see the beauty in it, but. If if you want to prevent all the juices running out, adding more of that helps. The second thing sometimes I do, especially with rhubarb, if I'm doing pure rhubarb with no strawberries, because rhubarb is so tart, I love to do like a marzipan or a crushed almond or some kind of nutty, very thin layer underneath. And the thing about rhubarb and or the thing about any fresh fruit galette is that what I do is I take the fruit, I cut them into pretty small pieces, and then I toss it in sugar, tapioca, starch, lemon juice, vanilla, and I let it sit. And I let it sit for at least like 30 minutes so those juices start to release and the fruit kind of starts to soften but you don't cook it and in the summer you don't really want to be standing around you know cooking fruit so then I just roll it out fill it with that fruit and then the other trick and when I don't do this I regret it is I freeze my galettes for a minimum of 15 minutes before I bake them you roll it out you put the fruit in you tuck it you tuck it back in so that it's this beautiful circular irregularly circular shaped you know pastry and then it, that once you're at that point, you put it back in the freezer to kind of bring yes. everything together before you put it back before you put it in the oven. Yeah, the other thing I do is I egg wash. Evan Kleinman from KCRW like really doesn't like that when people egg wash. Really? I personally do. Yeah, she does. I like the golden. Me too. And I love to color. use coarse sugar, turbinado, demerara. Mm-hmm. And then I freeze it. I like that crunchiness because it's a nice textural difference from like that jammy fruit and then the flaky pastry. Yes, I am completely with you. I Mm. And the other thing about any single pie or galette is that you almost always want to bake it 15 minutes longer than the recipe tells you. I think most people underbake their pies and I think it it very rarely burns. You just want that fruit so cooked and you want that crust so cooked. So burnished. You want it like burnished. You want it to have like these really caramely tones to them. Yeah. I think in some ways this idea of a galette is like you're really throwing a lot of trust into that space. I know that your strawberry one that you made a couple couple days ago, you were disappointed. But when you sent 
me the picture. I was like, they can't be contained. The strawberries can't be contained. They're so juicy. And I it think was that's- such a beautiful reframe that you offer because I think we're often hard on ourselves when our pies or our galettes leak or the to someone else, it could be the most beautiful thing <laughs> they've ever seen, right? Well, also, it's just that time of year. Like the strawberries are just bursting with juices and flavor. I would so much rather have a juicy mess of strawberries than dry, bad strawberries. I've been watching you make galettes for years and they're so beautiful. And every time they pop up on your Instagram or on my phone, when you send me pictures, it's like, I always think, why am I not making galettes? But I think it's because I have control issues. And I think you're really putting (laughs) this so much trust in like, you're just putting it together and then it just kind of becomes its own thing. But one of the ways that I deal with my control issue is I like to make a skillet pie. I and love your skillet pies. I love a I think skillet they're pie. so I think people underestimate how good pie is in a skillet. You're talking about a cast iron skillet. I'm talking about a cast iron skillet. I think I made my first cast iron skillet pie with apples. Take butter, you saute, you know, the apples are in chunks, you saute them, you kind of get them browned. I take them out, I add more, and I basically just keep cooking apples until I fill the pie and or fill the the skillet. And so it's a, yeah. a single crust pie. So there's no crust on the bottom. It's just the crust that covers the top. But I love that because I like all that fruit. But you can still do that because we're we are talking about summer pies. You could still do that with like peaches and nectarines. You could add blackberries. You could add cherries to that. I mean, that is more of the way that I like to cook. And so the idea of being stuck on like a recipe, like I just need it to be four pounds of blueberries or four pounds of apples or whatever. I'm just like, I can just take whatever fruit I have. I can throw it in the skillet and cook it and then put a pie crust over top of it and bake it. That is enough for me. (laughs) There's something in a way that the heat conducts in the oven in a cast iron that makes pie so good. So I'm so glad you brought up peach pie because what I was going to say is the my favorite actual pie. One thing I do at least once a summer is make a peach pie. I don't think there's anything better. I don't peel my peaches. I don't blanch my peaches. I don't fuss around. I cut them into wedges. I make my pie crust. I love to add ginger to my peaches, fresh ginger mm-hmm. and lemon and a decent amount of sugar. sugar yeah. yeah, enough sugar. And then I just think there's almost nothing better than a peach pie. I mean, a fresh peach is magic and it's so fleeting. It really is. You know, there are fruits that we can get in the winter. I would never get a winter peach. Like no. I think it's just, it's meant for the summer. It's meant for the moment. You know, and, and speaking of the moment, there is a very small window in which we then see like sour cherries. I don't know if you ever oh, get yeah. sour cherries. I grew up next to a sour cherry tree. My neighbors had a this giant sour cherry tree and my mom would make a sour cherry pie and we would go pick them. I mean, the birds would eat them. You know, everyone in, it was this massive tree. So, you know, the neighborhood would harvest from this tree, but a sour cherry pie, like there's like one week of the summer that you can have that. Sour cherries are so fleeting and they're like such little jewels, but I have to be honest, I don't love sour cherry pie, but I love sour cherries and other desserts. I can tell you some. Tell me, even though this is a pie episode. I make a simple sour cherry snacking cake. And I think because I don't like when the sour cherries get too gloopy and jammy and there's too much, I like the little pops of sour cherry. You know, speaking of sour cherries, I have made this pear and dried sour cherry slab pie. Yum. And that was 
like the way I can describe it to you is like it's it's a rectangle and it's all puff pastry and then it's filled lay it out in a rectangle fill half of it close the top and then crimp the sides but I was doing a little research and there people are making slab pies in like a pyrex or a casserole dish like have oh, you ever really? done that before yeah no I've only like ever a rectangularly shaped pie I have never done that I've done the slab pies that's in like a deep jelly roll baking sheet yeah, put on the baking sheet and then and then it's like you almost slice it in like a yes. long long slice I really think Smitten Kitchen has a great peach slab pie I could be wrong I know Deb Perlman has a couple slab pies that always intrigue me but before I forget I wanted to just mention about the cast iron skillet, skillet pie yes. because I started making double crusted skillet pies so I mm. do a bottom crust and a top crust in the oven and you could do this with peach or apple or whatever fruit and I have to tell you I think it tastes better than a pie dish when I do that I make it much more yes the way it cooks in the cast iron that pie crust is just so crispy and crackly and then the filling really gets cooked it's like much softer I don't know there's some kind of magic but because sometimes I'll make multiple pies at once and I'll make some in pie tins and I'll make like another one in a cast iron I'm like when you decide to do that will you let me know so I can be available (laughs) the thought of like multiple pies happening at your house at one time is just almost too much for me to imagine and at Thanksgiving I'm usually making like five to six pies for no apparent reason I'm giving half of them away. I bet that cast iron pie is a real showstopper. So let's go into the cool and creamy category because Definitely. do you make any of those? No. I have like aspirations of making various mm-hmm. kinds of those pies, but I don't end up making them very often. I have to say that one of the best of those kinds of pies that I've ever had was made by this local baker and she made passion fruit curd oh, pie. And that was so good. But do you make them? Do you make like a chocolate pie? Back in the day, I want to say this was when I was in high school. I made like a chocolate silk pie. I'm pretty sure that when I made it, my instinct is not a pie crust with that kind of pie. My instinct is like a cookie crust. Like like a a graham cracker crust? A graham cracker crust or like a crushed up Oreo type crust, you know, like a chocolate wafer crust. When I do make kind of like mousse pies, always do graham cracker or like with certain kinds, I'll do like a ginger snap crust. That's such a great flavor. My stage of life and my limited interest in baking is, you know, and just the reality of having like a smaller child, making an an ice cream pie is totally doable for us. So to like, you know, to use the food processor, crush up some cookies, put them into a a pie tin, freeze that, and then let some ice cream melt a little bit and then layer it into a pie. Then suddenly we have a really fun dessert. In the summer, it's like we're sitting here right now at the top of the summer. We're waiting for all these fruits to come out. We're waiting for the warm weather to come around. But when it's actually here, you really don't want to cook that much. I don't even make my own ice cream. Do you use a recipe when you make these pies or you're just literally saying like you crush some cookies or people could use graham crackers, whatever. You add a little butter to it because you don't need many ingredients for this. That's it. And then you push that into a pie tin or whatever you want to use. And then you top it with melty ice cream. Do you have a favorite combo? We're always going in like the chocolate with chocolate wafers or Oreo cookie type of cookies as far as the crust goes. And then like we like a cookies and cream or like a chocolate chip cookie dough or even a vanilla is delicious. Do you top it with whipped cream or anything else or do you just serve it just like a slabs of ice cream with crust? That's it. No chocolate. 
chocolate sauce. I mean, you can add chocolate sauce. It makes me think too of one of my favorite kinds of pie, which I almost never make, fresh strawberry pie. So like, you know, those pies that are like how are filled with like glazed strawberries and topped with whipped cream. I love Love that. That was a lot when I was younger and I haven't had one of those for years. It feels like it's fallen out of fashion. Is that even a way to describe it? Yes, it's totally fallen out of fashion. And I'm here to advocate for it coming back because like- Why has it fallen out of fashion? I think it's- out of fashion because typically you'd find those like gloopy glazes. I'm not even mad at that, honestly, if it's like (laughs) a special occasion. Like we got a pie once from House of Pies in Los Angeles for one of my birthdays. And it's a legendary LA pie place, House of Pies. It's so fun. And it was gone in seconds. It was like the biggest, (laughs) it was like way bigger hit than any cake I've ever served. But I think you could make a glaze that's not that heat up good strawberry preserves in a little saucepan and brush that over your fresh strawberries. I mean, there's so many ways to do it. That's a great way to think about it. It's the same idea as the cherries or just the peaches in the summer. It just captures the moment. I love that idea. I'm so sad we're not neighbors anymore. It's not fair. It's not fair. Well, I want to come like live on your street with the, the guy with the raspberry bushes. I mean, that's so amazing. Well, I feel like we covered a lot of pie ground today. I feel like we covered a lot of pie ground, but we have one actual special guest. Yes, we are talking to one of the best pie bakers in all of Los Angeles who happens to be your food friend. Yes, she happens to be my food friend. Um, her name is Danielle Bell, and she is one half of the team of DePores with her partner, Pablo Osorio. And they are both chefs and caterers in Los Angeles. Danielle recently was a judge for the KCRW pie contest. And so she's going to come on and talk to us a little bit about the pies that she makes, um, including the pie that both you and I love, which is her famous greens pie, which is a savory pie. It's really perfect for the summer and really perfect for what we're talking about. It's one of the best pies I've ever had. And for those who don't know, the KCRW pie contest in Los Angeles is a really, really big deal. Being part of it in any way is a big deal judging it, being asked to judge means you're at the top of the pie world. <laughs> totally. well, <laughs> and she it's, is. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, she is. Yeah. I'm excited to talk to her too. I'm excited to meet one of your food friends. And we'll link everything in our show notes as always. We'll link recipes we discuss. We'll link all the information to get a hold of Danielle because you're probably going to want to order a greens pie if you're living in Los Angeles <laughs> after you hear this. All right. So here's Danielle. Hi, Sonia. Hi, Danielle. Hello. Hi. Um, I'm so excited to introduce you to Danielle. We're so excited to have you here to talk about pie. Sonia, I know that you know, but just as a reminder, I've saved some of Danielle's very famous in my world greens pie for you, which I know you love. By the way, one of the last times I was in LA, the day I arrived, Carrie drove over some greens pie. So it was the best <laughs> welcome I could have. We are all here to talk about pie today and summer pies and making pies. And I think your greens pie is a really good one to start with, Danielle. If you could maybe just tell us a little, describe for our listeners your greens pie. So yeah, it's um, inspired by Greek pie, but more so like English savory pies, which I love so much. I'm really in awe of a lot of um, British baking and inspired by it. I want to clarify something though, because I learned this from Papa Christos when he's a restaurateur here in LA, a little short 
very charming man. And he was doing these cooking classes. And I learned at the Spanakopita class that spinach is new. That was a 1970s invention in the pie. Before that, they would use other things. They would use like wild herbs. They would use like dandelion greens. Now we know that pie as like a spinach pie. And I think that my feeling might be a little closer to older versions of the pie because it can be a different pie every week. So there's usually chard, there's usually collard greens. But if I have beets, I really, really, really like to have beet greens in there. And I really like to have chard in there. So those are your two musts, like beet greens and chard? They're what I want. What I really love to put in the pie, my favorite greens ever, is uh, turnip greens. They're not- I love turnip greens. I love turnip greens. And- you know, in the South, they're everywhere, but here I have to buy turnips or like yeah. beg for turnip greens from the farmers in order to get turnip greens. So yeah, it's that. There's feta. Sometimes I do parm. There's garlic. And then there's salt, pepper, lemon juice, and a little bit of nutmeg and a chili pepper flakes as well. I taste along the way just to make sure it's giving me what I want. I'm really excited to finally meet you because I've tried your food. Thanks. And when you taste a person's food and it tastes that special. You want to know more about who's behind it. So I'm curious because I've never had the pleasure of speaking to you. Can you tell me a little bit like how you got into food? Where are you from? I'd love to hear more about your origins in cooking. (laughs) I'm from Kentucky, um, Louisville originally. I went to college in New York, which is where I met Pablo. I didn't meet him in college. I met him post-college, but we both met in Brooklyn. I always cooked. I always baked. I actually baked in college from like my dorm room, I would bake this pound cake, this caramel pound cake that my mom taught me how to make. Yeah, so I've always sort of baked, but I started Deporis with Pablo because from the very beginning, he was making me food that I had never had before in my life. I didn't really know Peruvian food. Pablo's really shy and he's not the kind of person that you like, are like, come on, you know, be in this big room with people. And I didn't know that about him until a little later, but Within like two weeks of meeting him, he was cooking for me and my friends because it was just so great. And around that time, there was the recession and there were all of these like supper clubs in Brooklyn, like that whole scene. And I thought that maybe we were a little late to the game, but I also thought that people have to try this food. And so we actually started doing dinners maybe once a month or something out of our bedside apartment together. You weren't culinary school people. You were just avid cooks. Oh, I have a liberal arts education and Pablo actually learned cooking in kitchens. So by the time I met him, he had already had many, many years cooking in kitchens. He wasn't cooking Peruvian food in other kitchens though? He's never cooked Peruvian food in anyone's kitchen, but his own. There's a handful of Peruvian restaurants now, but no. I loved hearing what you said about when you tasted his food, like how you just kind of looked around and were like, I got to tell people how good this food is because that's how I felt when I met you guys. And when I tasted his food too, I was like, wait, does anyone know like what these people are doing? I mean, I met you in the pandemic when obviously restaurants were really struggling and trying to figure out what to do. I've never tasted food like his. I mean, your biscuits are the best biscuits I've ever tasted the greens pie all the ice creams but like his food is unlike anything I've ever had before and 
I think it's so special. It really is. And in our private chefing, we have a few advantages that other Peruvian restaurants don't have. You know, we have, I guess, a bit of the privilege to get the very best ingredients possible. Like these places would not be able to do out local seafood, for example, um, for their dishes. So yeah, we do have a, a few freedoms. And also, I know that it's very different if you were actually to go to Lima and they have like some of the top restaurants in the world. But here, Peruvian food still hasn't really caught on that much for Pablo to cook Peruvian in other kitchens or for there to be um, restaurants that can afford to really take it there with the ingredients. So we do have that, I guess, working in our favor. So um, you were started out in Brooklyn and you were doing pop-up suppers together and kind of marrying Peruvian food and your style of cooking, like sharing these influences together? Sort of. Even to this day, we sort of stay in our lane. I He does savory and then I do dessert. And when I do savory, it's because the menu is Southern. I don't want to say it's a fusion because it's not like we're doing Aji Amarillo fried chicken or something like that. It does what he does and I do what I do. So you started this supper club or pop-ups and what led you to California and all the amazing produce that you're now around? Well, I had a friend who moved out here, but she was really connected with the art world here and she knew me from New York and she liked what we were doing and she said, oh, you should come out here and do a dinner. And so she set us up with an art gallery to do a dinner there. And then a friend of mine's mom lived in the Palisades and she said, you should cook for my friends too. So we did that. And then we did one more dinner. We got to go to the markets and eat at a few restaurants, but mostly we were working and it was just really seductive coming here from the cold and we had already <laughs> spent so much time in New York and feeling very young in New York as opposed to not feeling so young in New York anymore. It just sort of felt like it would make sense to move here. It was a bold choice. We took 31 days to get here though and that was really valuable to like wow. see so much of America. That's a lot of good so pie in Arkansas by the way. Danielle, what pies did you eat in Arkansas? They had a funny name for it. They called it like French vanilla something or another, but it sort of tasted like some version of chess pie. Can you describe to me chess pie? Because I don't know that that's something that's in my experience. So chess pie has a really interesting history. Um, Some people don't know why it's called chess pie. Some people say that it's a cousin of a British cheese pie, and then it became chess pie with a Southern accent. But it also is um, (laughs) part of these pies that I guess at one point were called like pantry pies. So there's very simple ingredients. Chess pie is egg, sugar, you can do vanilla, salt, butter, milk, or cream. That's it. There's actually one more ingredient, vinegar. And what the vinegar does is it makes the cornmeal rise to the top. So then you get that like crunchy top. When I do chess pie, I do either lemon or because it is a very sweet pie. And I do think that it needs citrus. And I remember before we left New York, when we did our last Deporis there, the dessert was chess pie. But I did a chess pie that Pablo would make if he could bake. So I did lime and lemon and coconut chest pie. So there's also yeah. coconut pies, but it can be sort of anything. And the good thing about it is you don't need fancy ingredients for it. And it's um, it's clearly a Southern thing because people outside of the South don't seem to know it. So It sounds a little bit like 
crack pie, like the milk bar crack pie. They changed the name to, I forget what they're calling it now, but that milk bar used to have that. And it is a version of chess pie. That's exactly. Because okay. the yeah. way you're describing it reminds me of, of having that pie where it's like uh, like two bites is like enough. It can. I never really liked them growing up. And they were also, um, I don't know, just kind of a weird consistency, almost gelatinous sometimes. And I didn't really yes. like. You had chess pie in Arkansas. What are some of the other pies that you make, Danielle? I just made a derby pie today. Um, Can you tell us what's in that? Yes, sure. I don't think everyone knows. You know, it's actually funny when you talk about what you're not allowed to call pies because there's this one company in Kentucky and they trademarked the name Derby Pie and they and they call it, there was an article in the Washington Post like in 1990 something and they called it the most litigious dessert in America because this company would go after pretty much anyone any oh business. No way. And so a lot of times in Louisville around Derby, you'll see the pie, but it'll be like a run for the racist pie. And <laughs> I like Pegasus pie. I used to call it first Saturday in May pie, but then I said, <laughs> I'm not calling it that. And if like this company really feels like suing me, great. Oh I can get publicity and they're going to look really awful. So <laughs> I have to know what's in this. The yeah. Drink. Well, in theirs, they actually don't put bourbon in there. They're mass produced too, by the way. And you can like buy them at any grocery store in Louisville throughout the year. Mine and most people who are making them on their own bourbon, of course, chocolate, eggs, butter, and then a nut, either walnut or pecan. It also had, and you know, it's funny because I sometimes didn't really like it so much because it's sort of like a pecan pie, but with chocolate and bourbon in it. And again, like that kind of weird gelatinous sort of something that you can get from those pies. But what I do, because it's corn syrup in most of them, I don't use corn syrup. I use Lau's Golden Syrup from England, and it gives you a different effect. Or if you can't find that, you can use brown rice syrup instead, and you don't get that weird kind of ooey-gooey gelatinous thing. And a lot of um, corn syrups are like flavored with like artificial vanilla, so you don't really get that. What other pies are you making? Are you making any fruit pies? Um, Not very much. I make fruit cobblers, though. Mm. Well, I two of my favorite desserts are blackberry cobbler and also, I mean, I just love any cobbler, really. Figs, when they're in season, are really great for a cobbler. And I guess there's really not that much difference between a cobbler and a pie, but for me, I prefer cobblers. I found that I, I really love a good crust, and so with my cobblers, I can do a layer of crust and then a layer of filling, then a layer of crust, then uh, more filling, and then I dot the top with crust. So it's yeah. not unlike a pie, but I just feel like there's far more dough than you would expect. Not everyone does a cobbler like that. So it's a little, <laughs> but it's such good crust, you know. I'm, I was inspired by the KCRW pie contest that I helped judge over the weekend, I was actually inspired to make a savory pie because I judged savory and I judged apple, which is, I just, I love apple pie a la mode. That's my number one (laughs) dessert ever. Yeah, I was inspired to bake a pie of my own because I thought that maybe there would be more kind of like British pies. I was expecting to see like a steak and ale pie, but um, there actually weren't. And um, And to give a little context, the KCRW pie contest is like a very, very big deal. 
and it's a very big deal to be asked to judge it. And like for people who don't know about Los Angeles and don't know about KCRW, it's one of their local like NPR stations. And the people who win the pie contest are often legends in the local food world. They are. You mean like a known baker? There are a lot of known yeah, bakers so. in, in addition to amateur bakers who join the KCRW pie contest. Yeah, and the guy who won Best in Show, and I think he also got Best Crust. I didn't know him, but he's a professional baker. So yeah, I mean, it. I had to think a lot about what it is I enjoy in a pie. And, you know, there were five ju- five judges for savory and apple. And it, as it turns out, we don't have the same opinions on pie, you know, like <laughs> I don't like a super spiced apple pie and I prefer my apple pie a little more tart. I also don't like when the filling is applesauce-like and mushy, and some people didn't mind that at all. So, but I mean, you do how have- cool though that you got to taste all those pies and. You know, one thing I wanted to ask you about that you that you brought up when you were talking about your cobblers is your crust, like how you make a crust um, and even also how you would compare the crust that you make to some of the crust that you experienced at the pie contest. My pie crust is a little different than other people's pie crust because I put salt and sugar in my pie crust, even with the savory pie. I don't think a lot of people do that, even professional bakers. Hmm. And I noticed with a lot of the crust, even when they were good and they were flaky, they didn't really have a lot of flavor. And and that might just, again, it's like about personal taste or whatever. Maybe some people think that there's enough going on in the filling that you don't need to do that in the crust. But Your crust is so <laughs> flavorful. Yeah. It's so incredible, though. I love the filling of the greens pie, the slight amount of cheese, all the greens, and then that incredible crust, which is like so crunchy and stays like crunchy, chewy for like not the first time, not the second time. Like I eat that pie until it's gone. But Daniel, what are you doing to your crust? Because everyone has different, besides yes. the sugar and the salt, like, is there a special butter that you're using? Is it all butter? I, like is there- I do like Plogra a lot. Or I had to go back to Kentucky and I was there for about a year and I couldn't find, well, actually I could find Plogra, but it was like really expensive. So I started using the Tillamook. Is it Tillamook or T- Tillamook? Tillamook. Tillamook. Yeah, yeah it's from Tillamook. here. Yeah. They have an 82% butter fat butter that I used in place of Plogra and loved it's it. It's not their like name brand butter. It's like a different. Do they have like a European style one that they sell? Essentially, yeah, that's what makes it a European style. And I don't know that they write European style on there, but they do write like 82% butter fat. And I think it comes in a blue box. You use only butter in your crust. Only butter, no lard, no shortening. Do you have like a special method? Like, do you always do it by hand? Do you believe in frozen or grated butter? No. Well, you know, when I was in Kentucky for that year, I didn't have a food processor. So I use like the pastry cutter and to find results, you know, and also I wasn't making nearly as many pies as I would if I were here doing something professionally. So that works. But I just use my food processor. Even if it's just for me, I'll just make like a pound of butter worth of um, of pie dough just so I can freeze it and I don't have to make it again. And it's always kind of nice to have pie dough in your freezer. But no, it's just butter, sugar, flour, all-purpose flour. I'm partial to King Arthur. Salt, sugar, flour, butter, ice water. Really, Mm. really, really cold butter. You cut it. You chop it and then you put it in the freezer and then I blend it. I mean, that's the thing I had to think about 
um, how to explain making pie crust. People ask me, but also I wanted to teach my mom how to make pie crust. And my mom, unfortunately, she was um, she had cancer, so she lost her sight. My mom ex- was an excellent baker, but she was always like, but I never could make pie. And that was going to be one of my mm-hmm. things, like, mom, how to make pie dough, but how can you, is it something you can teach through touch? And so that's something I'm still trying to figure mm-hmm. out because for sure, like the butters blended just right can't be blended too much can't be blended not enough sometimes I see ingredients recipes and they say that the butter should be pea size and I disagree with that I mean if your butter's pea size you're just going to wind up with a pool of melted butter once your pie is baked the butter melts out yeah there's a lot to it this is a question that's like driven me crazy for over a year now. <laughs> I'm like you know I regret that I never got to teach my mom how to make mm. pie dough but also just how to tell people how to make a pie how to make a pie crust. Well, I have a, the, the question I remember asking you maybe the first or second time that I had your pie crust. Mm-hmm. And then I described your crust, which is like, there's not a, there's not one ounce of it that ever gets soggy. And I remember saying this to you and you said, well, you just blind bake it. It's no big deal. And I was like, I don't know that everyone knows that. So you bake the crust, you roll it out and put it in the pie dish and then you freeze it. And that's the other thing. Sometimes I even I get a little impatient. And I'm like, oh, like, but no, you actually do have to freeze it. That's a major and tip, by the that way. That is a yeah. major tip. I mean, I do it myself. I get impatient. I'm like, no, this this should be fine. And then I'll put a pie in the oven, and the crimping's off. I hate that. Um, <laughs> <to be> disappointment. <laughs> then you put either parchment mint or aluminum foil and then pie weights. I don't buy pie weights. They're way too expensive and they actually don't get into all the crevices that you need. I just use rice or a mixture of rice and the cheapest rice you can find in the grocery store, the cheapest beans, and that'll weigh it down. And then, you know, you put it in the oven for like 400 degrees. It's a pretty hot. frozen pie crust, a frozen pie crust that's weighted down then it goes into the oven. I mean, I've made so much, I've made a, a decent amount of pies in my life, but this is such a hot tip for me. I do that for everything though. I do it for savory. I do it for apple. I do it. It just makes such a difference. And, you blind and the, bake your apple pie? I do. Wow. I do. I've never mine, done that. A friend of mine named Misty Trya, she's American, but she lives in England. We went to college together. She's actually a really skilled cook and baker and she's a lovely food writing voice. But she gave me that tip to blind bake, even like an apple pie. And I've never looked back. The thing too, like then you check your pie and you see like, I want it to be golden brown, not quite cooked through, but golden brown when I fill it and put it back in there. But even if you do kind of overcook it and it looks how you want it to look, and if you're me, you want it dark brown on the bottom, then all that means is you just like layer the pan with silicone mats to stop it from browning. But I think having a brown crust is like the best thing you can have in kind of want a soggy pie. I personally feel like people never bake their pies for long enough. At the pie contest, and this isn't a dig at anyone, but I felt like I wish people knew the importance of like an egg wash, yeah. you know, to give it yeah. more color. Even if I don't use an egg, I will brush it with like cream or if you have milk or something. Just that goes a long way, I think, just to give it a bit more color. 
All your food sounds incredible, and it's been such a pleasure talking about it. What's on the horizon for Deporas? Are you hosting dinners this summer? Can we expect more opportunities to order greens pie if we're in Los Angeles? No, I mean, I can make anything for anyone at any given time. Call me, and I will make it. Same for the greens pie need a little bit of notice. But Pablo and I, we're going to do more weddings in the coming year. We are going to bring back the dinner series. I'm just still sort of, I don't know, almost kind of coming out of a cocoon of sorts since I was away for a year. I do want to bring back the dinner series. I miss seeing a lot of our regulars. And those are really where we can show off and do whatever we want to do. With the dinner series, we can really run wild. And the people that come to our dinner series, they're naturally just so adventurous. They'll eat pretty much whatever we put on the menu. I kind of miss being around those people. And we actually made some really nice connections throughout the years doing those dinners. So I think we'll bring it back in July. No, I look forward to doing that. I look forward to coming to one of your dinners in person because I have only eaten your food at my kitchen table Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, through your deliveries. And so I love dinners like that where you get just get to show up and experience the vision of a chef or a team of chefs. And um, I'm so excited to experience that. Thanks. We'll bring it back. I've been promising people and we should. I mean, it's, it's how we started. So it'd be nice to go back to that. We'll link your website and your socials so everyone can find them in the show notes. So even those who are not in Los Angeles can keep track of what you all are doing and get inspired by it. So thank you again so much, Danielle, for talking to us today. Thank you for coming on and talking to us and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for being our food friend. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, leave us a review, and share this episode with friends. We love hearing from you, so follow us on Instagram or drop us a line at foodfriendspodcast.com. Yes, we'd love to hear from you and your food friends. Happy cooking and eating! Happy cooking and eating!